Hello and welcome to Of Poetry Podcast, episode 27 with Laura Jaramillo. I'm your host, Han Vanderhart. I'm a writer and educator living in Durham, North Carolina, and I began Of Poetry Podcast last summer, 2021, as a way of supporting poets with books being published during the pandemic. John Milton said that there was no interest so engaged as self-interest, and my own first book of poems, What Become Light, was published last summer as well. Of Poetry Podcast has been the kitchen table of poetry and conversation and community for me, and I hope for many others during this pandemic we are still located in. Please continue to mask and keep each other safe. Laura Jaramillo is a poet and critic from Queens, New York, living in Durham, North Carolina. Her books include Material Girl, Subpress 2012, and Making Water, Future Palm 2022. She holds a PhD in critical theory from Duke University and co-runs the North Carolina-based reading and performance series Paradiso. Hi and welcome, Laura. Hi, Han. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk about making water today. Would you like to begin with reading a poem? Yes. Um, So I'm going to read a poem called River Society. And this is actually the final poem of um, of the book. So we're moving backwards today. River Society. In a skin-lined chassis, listening for an iron goddess of mercy's transmissions, light more sodden and amber every spring, eating God's flesh and watching our bodies pass above us in a darkened field above the loblolly pines. Everything lost persists, and love underwrites this. The oogles and Mexican families, the older day trippers and river witches gather in their camps on rock forms around the banks, archipelagos, trash in the stream bed and smoke on the water, fat black and white mosquitoes skim the surface. To read nature as a rebus. Silky mold blossoms seep up the banks of rotting nitrate through mute memory palaces, through torture gardens and phone records, through dental x-rays and memoirs, through receipts and debits, through every grave and mark. Anime, the quiet science of the 18th century naturalists, casting miniatures of the America's flora in glass. You go to the river to escape society, then you become a society. Riverbed is slither with baptismal snakes. I sit peeing in the shallows and centuries pass. Gather your low magic, gather your animals. Our bodies were never that lost utopia, just an oracle. And if we were images, it was only for a time and they're ululating on water and broken by the wind where again, they scatter into perfect chemical geometries and the zen hum of this water, all the water that has ever been, what's left to us in common. Thank you. 
Okay. There are so many places we can begin this conversation, but um, I do, you know, since you've just read us this beautiful poem and it's in, um, you know, whether you want to call it verse stanzas or or prose sections, and, you know, it's obviously a a sequence and it's linked. um, I'd kind of love to start there, maybe if you'd like to talking about, yeah, just, just, I don't know. I I would just love to hear what you think about like the prose section and how it works for you. And if um, there are other, you know, influences that are coming in for you that you think of. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because I, as a writer have been traditionally very self-defining in terms of line breaks and enjambment. Like those are things that have really mattered to me. And I've kind of given other people shit for (laughs) not paying enough attention to them. So it's really funny that I ended up um, writing this book of, I guess, prose poetry. But I will say that I feel that there is a line here, um, even if it's in a kind of prose block. Um, And the logic of these, so for, people who may not have seen the book, essentially, um, the great majority of the book um, is a kind of prose block followed by um, either a short sentence or two short sentences in jam together. And um, this was a form that I started working in um, because of the content of the book, um, which is called Making Water. And Making Water tries to think about um, all the ways that the subject-object division that is so kind of central to Western philosophy breaks down. Um, And all of the ways that being embodied in a kind of chronically ill female body makes those um, divisions break down. Um, and so there's a, there's a kind of play between inside, outside subject, object, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these, all of these kind of dichotomies are, are, they're not always broken down, but it's like, it's a, it's a kind of play with dichotomies. And so it felt like in this case, a prose like form would, be a way to make those kinds of tensions flow. And so that's the, the prose is where I think I got, I feel like the wateriness comes in. Um, But that being said, I also, you know, so much of my work before that has really been all about the line break. And I feel that there's still lines here. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I still feel that there is enjambment and that there's line breaking, um, in a more, to me, in a more similar way to the logic of stanzas than to the logic of prose paragraphs. Absolutely. And I never would have said prose poem um, because I- Oh, for sure, for sure. In part, because it shouldn't, but I do feel like saying prose poem kind of locks our minds into like, oh, we're going to be looking for paragraph blocks. And that's Mm -hmm. not at all like the way you use mono stitch or like a single line or- um, I mean, there's, there are, you know, there's lineation too. You also use lineation. So um, yeah, I, <laughs> um, my question, you know, is 
when I wrote yeah, maybe my... that was like d- like no 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 unconsciously <laughs> defensive <laughs> no not at all not at all I thought that was really helpful um and it kind of brought out the the fact that I I wasn't you know I was like oh yeah you're right I'm, I'm not asking about like a prose poem or um and you made me think about Ann Carson's the gender of sound essay right um and just like like the leakiness of like gender and form and um you know I think of that like leaking water jar that she talks about um and you know of course like i i'm i edit moist poetry journal so like i think about this a lot in the the wateriness of your collection um and how brilliantly um cynthia aru king wrote you know writes about it on the back of your book too i just thought because water can be so many you know like whether it's tears or it's like urination or it's river or it's like every other liquid that's coming out of our bodies you know (laughs) like it's um really incredible for thinking about form um and um I just wanted to quote um, at least at least a moment I think um Cynthia King's blurb on the back of your book is just amazing um water here acts as a medium for these intimate elegies its movements irreducible as the effect of one person's life on another's. The speaker has done a disappearing act, letting water exist as disembodied, plasmic, and thorough. Um, and then later, these words land poured into a glass, the paradox of being pained by borders and containers, but roused by the forces that survive. Um, and for thinking about tension and surfaces, which you and um, Cynthia talk about on Cynthia's podcast, Last Word, which listener you can find on Spotify. And I highly encourage you go look it up. I was thrilled um, to find Cynthia's podcast there. So, yeah, I so I think all this is, yeah, it's all in the mix. Um, I am, I was really interested in, um, you know, enacting water, but I also, so I guess two things, the first being that I think at the time, you know, we all to a certain degree kind of like write what we want to see in the world, Mm. you know, like, or write against a, a tendency that we feel is like, this is the tendency that annoys me. And like in 2013, when I started writing this book, um, I felt like a lot of the poetry, that I was seeing um, when there was a resurgence in political poetry Mm. on the internet. Some of it I greatly admired. And then some of it, I felt like it was falling flat, both at the level of politics and aesthetics for me. Mm. And I wanted to write something that uh, did something synesthetic with politics. Um, because I think that at the level of, um, daily life and the political outrage, we feel, we feel that at the whole level, at the level of our whole bodies, uh, not just ideas because we feel exhausted, um, because we don't have time because, um, our feet hurt, our backs hurt. We feel lonely. Um, all of these things are not ideas. They're, their physical sensations and Mm. their lived experiences. And so it was really important to me to try to get into making a form that I felt was synesthetic and was doing something with language that was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe 
more penetrating than an idea, because I think ideas, as much as I love ideas, can only go so far. And so that, that was um, that was kind of an irritant that that made me start writing this way. And then, you know, the other thing earlier you asked about kind of um, influences or people that I've read that are writing in this form. And for me, someone that, I mean, someone who's very important to me in general, to my writing um, is Lynn Hedginian and Mm -hmm. particularly the books, uh, My Life and My Life in the 90s. And in the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote this essay about um, one of Lynn Hedginian's first books called Gaswaldo, which is about this um, opera singer who um, murdered his lover. And so that those were the texts that I was reading when I was first starting out as a writer. And so, um, you know, I also am interested in going in other directions, but at the same time, this kind of, um, this kind of Hygienian esque thing of um, circling around the thing that needs to be said. Um, and in doing, and in doing this circling, um, having all these other experiences and all these other experiences are actually like constitutive of the real object, which is, I think the real object of the poem, which is, I think what Cindy's comment um, on the back of my book kind of gets at. Um, And so I think that that circling and that conviction that sometimes not going straight to it is actually the more direct route is something that really interested me in this project. Mm -hmm. I'm not, Maybe at this point, I'm like moving away from that. I don't know. But in here, that was it was very important to me to um, do a kind of synesthetic work and a political work. But that was maybe I felt um, embedded in a different kind of way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's like what when talking about surfaces and um and and I also want to say that, you know, this book reads like a book that took time. It, it it's like I mean the way you work with metaphor, the way like there's you know, I think about what um, Laurie Niedecker said about you know con, con, con what is it condensation or condensing right like she she works in the like, talking about like working she's some line about like working in the factory of condensation you know that mm-hmm. it's condensing um and i don't think i'd use the word condensing for you but um you know it's something more like distillation it's something more like sitting with and being with and um it it doesn't rush there's no rushing um and it's so enjoyable there's so much pleasure in reading something that has taken the time and the space it needs um I sometimes I feel embarrassed when I read a poem whether it's my own or someone else's that was rushed into um and so like I uh hands like the poet that has embarrassed me the most recently is myself I will you know 100 percent um and I you know like the river I think is so important um, yeah, absolutely. As a place and a locus, but it's like, you're going to miss 
everything else you're doing with water and bodies and body politic. And if you just think it's like a place book or, you know, like, um, you know, like, I think, you know, that saying like missing the forest for the trees, like um, something, something of that too. Yeah. I mean, I get, I have a lot of, I don't know. I, I really struggle with um, this idea of how long things should take mm. And mm-hmm. it's a really, I mean, like anyone, I'm enthralled to these capitalist ideas about production and productivity and being productive enough. Um, but I also have come to the conclusion that for me, um, I have to accept a certain temporality in order for my writing to be something that I'm satisfied with. Um mm-hmm. I, I came up in an aesthetic tradition, which was, which is, has kind of gone away and died somewhat, uh, which is American experimental poetry, where there was an idea that there was no inspiration that you just had to write and that, uh, right. That, you know, that this romantic idea of inspiration was just not real. And for me, um, my long, if, if, and my long career, although definitely not prolific career as a poet, um, has just proven to me that that's not the case. (laughs) There is inspiration. I mean, you know, and you can't sit around waiting for inspiration, obviously, like you have to babysit the work and wait for it to come a little bit. But I also just don't, um, I've definitely spent times of my life pushing myself when I didn't feel like writing and it wasn't, it wasn't the thing. It didn't feel productive. Um, it didn't feel interesting. And I, I, I sort of feel like you can't fake that part of the work. And that's not a, that's an unpopular idea. I've, I've talked about this with writers who are a lot more productive than me and they disagree. And I totally understand, but for me, my intuitive truth about my own work and about honestly, a lot of the work that I like is that it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And we do so often. I mean, I feel like I've kind of exited the the academia job market thing, but like, you know, the push to like that you have to get a book out every two years or you have to get something, whatever, whatever odd artificial, you know, thing that they've constructed that you need to have done. Like, I think now I'm seeing in job ads, I recently like two titles from reputable presses, blah, blah, blah. Like the number of, the number, you know, it's like the burdens they're placing on other people's backs. It's, it's so, it's, you know, the labor politics, the, it's, it's so against what it is to be an artist and what it is to work with art. Um, And they're just trying to like crush like the capitalism and the art together. And it's just, I don't think it makes good art. No. And I mean, also it's just like, essentially, I mean, you know, I've worked in, in and around academia for a long time now. And, um, I'm no longer, I also have permanently left the job market and I'm not interested in going back on. Um, but you know, I work in academic publishing and, and I've worked in other kinds of publishing as well. And I, I just think that a model that just pushes production for production's sake is not um, 
in the long term, that's not what we need as a society. And it's not, it's definitely not what we need as a literary culture. Um, and I don't want to, you know, it's tricky because there are some people who are prolific and they're putting out their, you know, they're really intellectually and aesthetically, they're putting out what they need to put out. And I really admire it. But I also just think that a lot of us are not able to do that. And that's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's something always like that has to be so individualistic, you know, and I know there's so many problems with the idea of the individual, but, um, but like the impulse to write and to I, it, like, I'm so drawn to your line. Um, you go to the river to escape society, then you become a society. Like that is, I feel like that says something real about um, how poets organize and, how, you know, how, how community works, how, like, even if it's like, you're finding the one or two others to, cause you, we, you just have to have others to sustain yourself and to like live an art life. Like you have to be connected as, my worst times I think have been when I've been like really disconnected. Um, oh, of course. Me too. Mine too. So it's, but there's something, there's, there's definitely a tension in like having to be alone for me being alone to do the work and then having this, you know, having, having oh, yeah. to like needing both things. Oh, it's constant. It's really, it's really constant. And it's, and you can't have one without the other. I, I mean, I, I struggle with that so much, but yeah, the, I'm really, um, the line, um, you go to the river to escape society and then you become a society, or it, I guess there's no and, but then you become a society is um, a really, a line that really I feel um, embodies sort of my life in North Carolina a little bit. Um, Cause you know, the whole book is, I I agree with you that it, it can't be reduced to a place book, but it is actually a, um, a book that is very rooted in mm. North Carolina and in the Eno River. Mm-hmm. And because when I moved here, um, well, when I moved here, I didn't have a car for a long time. It was very alienating. I was a grad student. It was not a fun thing. But the first moment that I could, I discovered the river and um, how life on the river offered this kind of respite mm. and this kind of reprieve from being in a landlocked town and that river culture was somehow a little Mm -hmm. bit different Mm -hmm. than, um, you know, the rest of the cities of the Mm -hmm. small cities culture. And then, you know, I started to notice that there's just like this really different culture around like watering holes. And it's, um, I think it's a culture that's like much more connected to pleasure and letting time pass. And, being in the, you know, being in telluric cycles of time. Um, and, but then, you know, you, you go to the river and you're never like, there's, there's no such thing as like escaping into nature. You know, you're, (laughs) when you're in nature, you're in society too. And you Mm -hmm. have to, um, like so many things have happened to me at the river, both like beautiful, exuberant, and also kind of dangerous things. And because that's what, happens when you're, you know, in relation to nature and to other people. Um, and so that line is really about that kind of like tension between, 
you know, going into nature, never escaping nature, going away from society and never escaping society, but like how that's actually, it's really good that you never escape society. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Um, And, you know, like, I think the way the form, the form works with that line, right? Like occurring on a page by itself, but then it's got stanzas or, you know, other longer lines on the other page. And then it's followed by, um, you know, lineated lines on the next page. Um, So I'm so glad you read that book. And I I totally, I hope I didn't sound like um, I wasn't like remarking on the fact that it is, it is such a North Carolina book in a beautiful like way. And, um, you know, the rootedness of that, like I heard you say on, on the last word with, with Cynthia King that um, you don't have earth's, or any like earth signs in your chart. Um, but like there is like there's something so so rooted in even if it's by water, right, in this book. Um and I of course, you know, I edit River River Books Press. And so like the the fact that water is changing, constantly changing. And um, but then there's something so like so based on place when you identify with like the certain river in your life. And um and I don't, I don't have that relationship with the Eno at all. And I find it just like so interesting and fascinating. And um, like, there's so much longing, I think, in it too. Um, and the summer imagery too, like what they're getting so cold for me right now in the South and uh, everything's so gray out. Like it's so, like there's just something like very sunlit about your book too. Um, even though, of course, you're doing you know you have a sequence war machine you have really you have which is also very north carolina yeah with like the experience of war machine is about the experience of um which i can actually read um maybe i should read after there or after this i say this thing yes absolutely thank you so yeah war machine is i'm so i yeah no i didn't in any way feel that you were um saying that place wasn't important. I, 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 you're, you're incredibly generous, but, um, in general, but like, yeah, it was actually really important. So place is a really, it's, it's interesting because I think that there's my writing to some can seem like incredibly abstract. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm very rooted in, and I'm very interested in place. And so my previous book, Material Girl, was about New York, where I'm from, um, and about moving away from New York. And then this book was really about being, like, living in North Carolina. It was really important to me to represent what my experience of living in North Carolina is. I don't know if that's, like, kind of banal, but I do certain experiences are kind of overrepresented in American literature, you know, like certain geographic places are, um, kind of like always, you know, like, I don't know, uh, Massachusetts, Los Angeles, New York, like certain, you know, um, and it's important to me to bring kind of like cultural specificity to these like places that maybe aren't, um, you know, the biggest places on the map, um, and to think through, um, the kind of ecological class racial dynamics in, in those places. And so 
you know, one of the things that really, like, I love so much about North Carolina is like being near bodies of water. So it's like the Eno is very special to me. Like now I actually live right next door to the Eno and if it floods, my property will get flooded. But, Mm. um, but I, uh, but then the other place that was really just like, so like just really deeply, um, that was such a deeply important place for me was the North Carolina coast, which is a complicated place because it's a military place. And, um, one thing that kept happening, um, while, and during various times that I went on vacation to the coast, which were just like kind of trips where we'd pack the car and be like, let's get a cheap hotel anywhere and like stay on the coast for a night. Um, was that there would be kind of, um, there would be uprisings, um, like Ferguson, um, happened during a time when I was at the beach. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, um, the book was done at this point, but the, the George Floyd uprisings, when people burned to Wendy's happened when I was like in a beach shack with, with my friends, we were trying to like go somewhere, have a vacation from the pandemic. And, um, so it's kind of thinking about how you experience hyper-militarization even when you're on vacation um, and like basically what it's like to live in, in the belly of the beast, which is that on one hand, I'm a re- like a really, in a lot of ways, privileged subject in the belly of the beast. And yet I also am able to perceive this tremendous violence that's happening around me and you know, be disgusted by it, be in opposition to it and mm-hmm. also be so much smaller than it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, with that being said, I will read War Machine, which might take me a moment to find. Okay. War Machine. So much purple asleep in the green of the sea, luminous Carolina sky crossed with cumulus cotton balls. Colors recoil when military choppers blow back waters first 10 veils. Today, no planes circulate above Ferguson, Missouri. Edge of vomit, edge of everything. They were wrapping light around their bodies and shitting in the water. Spraying sunscreen into the atmosphere because my not body replaces my torso with air and the war machine's contours are becoming in the honeyed light. Heavens rent with metal, sand kaleidoscopic beneath us. Swimmers applaud, beckoning the machines into the water. The special violence from which we suffer goes all pink and green, holographic in the evening sun that all of existence could be a pleasure palace, that all of survival could be a boot to the neck of the other. Our time and orchestra heard in the distance, sinking. We were so beautiful that day, all consumer metaphysics and pink meat ribboned with phosphorescent fat. I took 37 pictures of myself in the back seat to make sure I still existed. 
animals on the road petrify when light hits their eyes. Let your body go like water, the car revolving our airborne forms, leaves and mud revolving the car, floating in silence with its terror and force through the sinews. She understood then that incoherence as dying, splayed through that violent will to live. Curiously, the drone is a whale with no face. There are frequencies inside the chest that hum in absolute fear, and it moves as a mantis moves, cutting air with its not-animal countenance. Pterodactyls circle and cacti hiss, edge of vomit, edge of everything. Heat maps mark the movement of blood-bearing bodies across desert sand. The operators open their interfaces, ribbed with fire, tipped in blood. The men pull over to peek over the side of a ditch, crew cut and rosy. The men, disappointed, were not hurt, wanting to have been heroes, or at least become the one holding the terror and force, the fire and percussive blowback, the shrapnel and tie cuffs, the paperwork of modernity. The men perform ice operations at the Spawn Ranch, at Aravaca, at Tabernas. They'll fake out a frontier in the desert of the real, if they have to, abide by some basic banality to serve, then oil the contours of their physiques. The one man with such a Barbie-like arc in his tit pectoral muscle, the techno-logical veil, pneumatic, virtually weightless Kevlar, condemned to bear the melancholy of Robocop's sensuous pink lip. The pilots rip open a breach in being, becoming war gods in a sky from which the regular gods have retracted to rend the veil of women only to conceal their own faces so they may never witness themselves being seen by their marks. Thank you. Such um, an incredible poem. What you do with kind of a very short, thin line stanza um, in the last five pages. I'm like the violence that you're able to highlight through the form shift is huge, I think, um, and it's incredible. Thank you. Like you feel all the edges of the poetic line like that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've, I have some places of course, dog-eared. I hope that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to tell the poet I dog-eared your book because some people are really anti-dog-eared. Oh my god, no, um, <laughs> no, that means that's I'm I love being dog. That's being dog-eared is like being loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you know where are the moments you were like, oh, I have to physically do something to this book um, yes. to remember it. Um, but I think about you know on, on page thirty-seven, which is from the poem Threnody for Isabel. And um, 
the line, to death you'll carry with you the reduced territory of a consciousness once sovereign but devastated. Though no one can define consciousness, you'll remain on the burnt plane holding a nagging ink. And just that moment, and you think so much about consciousness in this book, but you never forget the body. Like The body is always so present um you know whether it's in illness whether it's in pain whether it's um identifying you know as part of the body politic as part of you know you know political what you know i think um and that's that's so powerful and i think it's like the only way you can do consciousness work and think about consciousness um when you don't forget the body um yeah and i was just wondering if you wanted to say anything more about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love that question because I feel like it really gets at the heart of it, it gets at the heart of what I want to do with my writing, which I don't feel which I don't feel is a wrapped up question in this book. Um, I feel like this is a this is a question that keeps going for me. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how to write consciousness from um the specific experience of um not just physical sensation, but like a body. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of um, directions I, I could go, but, you know, I mean, one of the things um, that got me interested in this, that, I, that has, I mean, this has really been, I think um, a, a question in all of my work uh, definitely was a question in my first book and, and in the stuff that I'm writing now, but, um, my interest in film, um, was one of the things that got me into a mode where I wanted to, um, write about this phenomenon in poetry. Um, because so I did my PhD in critical theory, but my specialization was film studies. And, um, I was specifically interested in a, um, body of literature within film studies that is about embodied cinematic perception um, in its different manifestations. Um, and this was just so beguiling to me. Like this, these accounts from film studies felt actually like these incredible, um, felt like the closest thing to descriptions of how actual perception is. Um, because it's, it's kind of funny. It's like perception is never with that, like perception is never by itself. So that's why philosophy is kind of like strange sometimes because it tries to describe perception by itself, but it's like, it's like perception is never without an object that it's perceiving and it's never without, you know, uh, a body that it's perceiving in. Right. And so the kind of, um, account of, you know, film studies account of trying to understand the the dynamics of this perception and not just um, how they happen in the body, but how the exterior world m- makes them occur. Like the material world makes perception occur in the body is something that just is, it's never not going to be mm-hmm. extremely um, fascinating to me and and for me um you know and this gets back to the question of like that i'm that i've always really been interested in which is um you know how i think that i 
even though I'm interested in writing kind of within a kind of beautiful register, like I, I want my poetry to bring aesthetic pleasure. I want it to be beautiful in some kind of conventional sense. Um, I'm also interested in writing a, a political work. Um, and, but the caveat being that sometimes ideas really fall flat for me in that realm. Like the, the political idea as such can fall a little flat for me. And so um, it's always coming back to this question of um, how can I write in a political way that accounts for experience? Mm-hmm. Um, because I also think that there's, you know, there's a ton of literature, there's a ton of film, there's a ton of art that deals with perception. Um, it's, my work is not at all unique in this regard, but, um, but I'm interested in the ways that, in the ways that politics play into that and, um, in the way that the material world plays into, um, into perception and that, you know, um, one of the things in making water that I write about a lot um, are these is kind of the idea of memory. Um, and so um, that poem that you read a little bit from um, is about my grandmother who my maternal grandmother who died from Alzheimer's and my aunt who um, took care of her for 20 years. And it's, you know, there's this kind of thing in my family of um, like losing your memory. Alzheimer's is like a really big fear and um, and also being stuck, being the caretaker is a really big fear. And I, um, I think that there's something, um, how do I say this? It's like, there's something about um, the process of forgetting or just going away from going into just like perception, going away from memory um, is there's something really scary about that. Mm. Um, And so it's kind of like one of the extreme poles in the book of like, you know, um, perception, perception without memory, um, forgetting, um, remembering with too much sensation, which is trauma. Um, and yeah, because so maybe we're getting too in the weeds here, but this is like this kind of question of, of memory, I think, um, ties really into the kind of broader, um, interest in, the way cognition is embedded mm. in, in physical experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, at this, at this moment, I want to remark that um, your note section is incredible. Like it's, oh, it's fascinating, which notes um, are not always fascinating. Um, and <laughs> yours <Okay>. are. <laughs> it's really funny. This, this Bay area, po- like I remember I was, so the, uh, it might be worth telling the story of the notes. I, this book was not planned with notes. Um, and in fact, I didn't want to put in notes because in general, um, I make a lot of references in my work and I want them to be embedded and I want them to Mm -hmm. succeed at the level Mm -hmm. of lines as standalone lines, whether the person gets the reference or not. 
And so sometimes telling the reference feels like ruining the poem to me. Um, And I didn't, I also didn't want to give a false sense of like, well, these are the only references, Mm -hmm. but then um, there was a, you know, there's quite a bit of stuff. One of, there's quite a bit of stuff about race in the book. And um, at one point the book went through copy editing and the copy editor suggested that I take out um, some of the references to race um, on the grounds that they might be offensive to some readers. And I Your felt- Your copy editor suggested this? Yeah. And so I was really not um, on board with that. And I felt that um, even though the book is not central, it does not centralize mm. race as one of its themes. Race is really important to it. Um, yeah. And it felt- it felt like a violence to take that mm-hmm. out of the text. Um, and so I decided to um, put together notes in order to give some context mm-hmm. to some um, some parts of the book that might not be, that might be opaque to the reader otherwise. And I still feel a little bit of anxiety about it because I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to like give it away. But at the same yeah. time, you know, for example, in... Um, there's a poem called Lacrimosa in the book mm-hmm. and the, it has the line um, in 77, they were, let me see. Um, I'll just read it. Cause I don't want to like mess no, it up. Absolutely. So, um, to make it to Nassau from East New York blackout in 77 during the riots, they were stealing tables, making worlds. And so mm-hmm. that was, that poem is about my stepfather who was, um, Puerto Rican and Sicilian and from East New York. And he grew up during the race riots. And part of the poem is talking about a kind of habitual white supremacy that he had that I felt that in some ways ended up um, just killing him spiritually. And I, you know, some people will know, okay, like the the riots because of the New York blackout in 77, they'll just know, okay, 1977 East New York blackouts, like, and they'll understand that. But mm-hmm. in any case, in 1977, when there was this really big Con Ed blackout, there were riots and looting in black communities. And a lot of people who became, uh, who later went on to found hip hop or become DJs uh, said that, they got the equipment from stuff that they had looted during the riots. And so it it became this way of, you know, turning this situation into like consolidating the basis for a new world out of this like horrible situation at a time when, you know, buildings were like projects were being burned to the ground for insurance money, like people were being, you know, system, like black and brown communities were being deprived of resources. So I just, it felt important to me that the reader understand that kind of context. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, You know, I just, and I I brought up the notes when you're, after you were just talking about memory, just because, and you know, we both have academic backgrounds. So in terms of archive and, you know, what is archived and what is noted and what is like, that's, it's always political. Right. And yeah. it's so important. And um, I had such a um, kind of awful uh, 
education K through 12, which was um, like fundamentalist homeschool, mm-hmm. um, that my, my history is still something I like catch it. Like I still, like I still have to do this work all the time. Um, and so like, yeah, the, your note for Lacrimosa was so important for me. Um, but I was also, um, even, even things like when you talk about um, Descartes, geometric form with 1000 sides and from um, autoimmunity from your palm. I just thought that was fascinating and it just kind of opens up. Like it felt more like kind of moving through um, a museum or an extension of your, like having your notes um, there. It, it didn't feel like it was like, and now I'm going to pull back the curtain so you can see, mm-hmm. you know, like it yeah, didn't feel yeah. like we're flipping embroidery over to see the backside. It didn't feel like that at all. Like it's just like extend, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think of like poetry extends the document, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. um, Maria Ruckheiser. Um, right. It's like, yeah, that's um, and, and so do your notes. Um, and I think it's such a, a generosity because I know notes take a long time and uh, prose editing always takes a long time. And um, and also, I mean, I was really, you know, in admiration of making water in terms of how you write, um, about white supremacy and violence and race. And because, I mean, I think about this a lot and, um, in all, in all kinds of ways, and it's has to be a, a work in progress and it just something that I return to a lot, but, Sometimes when um, when I read a, a poem by a white person that's really failed um, in what they name and what they don't name, like it's such, it's such very, it's just work. I think you have to approach it with fear and trembling. Like, I just don't think you can ever feel comfortable or you shouldn't um, as a white writer. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's really, really interesting from, um, I think I've, I've heard so many more poets read and talk about, um, being like passing or like the kind of violence that's in passing and just the way, like, an you know, at Duke, they always talk about like a master narrative, which is, uh, um, <laughs> but like the, the narrative of whiteness is just, it wants to smooth everything out and just wants to make everything like you just see, it's like a sea of white and, um, and it's interesting that the answer to that is not necessarily to um, acknowledge every single character's positionality or it's like, mm-hmm. it's just no simple, easy move. It's not like you're like, well, yeah. just always do this. Cause it's no, you can't do, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because it's, I, I think that there's like, really incredible uh writers doing work about race and i feel like my work more like it's not necessarily always about race it sort of like tries to include race in a i mean in general i think i'm interested in kind of like for lack of a better word it's like a jamesonian totality or something and so if you which is unrepresentable at the same time, but it's like, if you're interested in kind of like giving a whole picture of a society somewhat, even if it's fragmentary, then how Mm -hmm. can you not talk about, how is it not your ethical responsibility to talk about race? And when I say ethical responsibility, even it sounds like very like school marmy or something. 
And for me, it is just much more kind of inherent than that. Like it would be, it would, you know, if I wrote about my stepfather and I couldn't reflect on and who I loved very much, um, and I couldn't reflect on his ideas about race and how they really messed up his life in a lot of ways because his idea of um, his idea of normative masculinity was being like the white strong provider mm-hmm. and everyone else was to some degree either under his protection or mm-hmm. an enemy mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or someone beneath value. And that's uh, that's an experience that I have to reckon with as one that I've lived, but I also think that it's an experience that we as a culture yeah. have to reckon with. And I wouldn't, um, it would just be really strange to efface that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for me. Um, and I you know, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of like kind of contradictions about this um, kind of notion that it's white people's responsibility to um, address race, because Mm -hmm. on one hand, it's like, uh, on one hand, it's hard to do, like, people are really concerned with doing it correctly and the Mm -hmm. doing it correctly is also can be, and and by doing it correctly, I don't mean like, you know, saying racist stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like not saying racist stuff. I, I mean, like, you know, it's, but actually I think what we need is people who are doing it in surprising ways. And in like, who are talking about race in not the kind of pre- um, predetermined correct ways. I don't think that that adds to the discourse and I don't think it like, you know, I am someone who is trying to think about race and think about class and, and their conjunction a lot all the time. Um, but I'm very, and, you know, maybe you can end up cutting this (laughs) to this little part, but like, you know, it's just like, I'm really interested in those things, but I just, um, I don't want to be a person who's performing the things correctly to perform the things correctly. Like that Mm -hmm. actually freaks me out. Mm -hmm. Like I would rather be quiet, but I'm, you know, but Mm -hmm. when I have a chance to reflect on them, when I have a chance to reflect on them in a, in a way that feels thoughtful and, and in a way that feels in accordance in kind of like truthful accordance with my yeah. experience then i feel like it's fucked up to not share that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i just you know and i didn't want to pull like it, it wasn't my aim to like pull extract this right as a topic yeah. from your book like it just feels like it's um of a fabric or of a piece with like the speaker's life in your book and it's there because it's like part of it it's not you know, I, I think that sometimes anytime poetry, like we lean too hard on it as a tool or a use, like, oh, I'm going to do X with it. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't play that way. Like poetry doesn't come to play like that. And, um, and I mean, I think for myself, I, I don't understand how any of 
any of the intersections with like, say, white, my white Southern family or whatever I happen to be writing about, like, it's always going to be inside a project of failure. Like, it's just not, it's not something you can yeah. win. It's not something you can do right. Yeah, something- right. Exactly. It's not something, it's not something you can do right. Yeah. And I think that that's the, I feel passionately that it's not so, I mean, there's, there's ways of speaking that are like offensive that you don't mm-hmm. want to engage in, mm-hmm. that you, that you wouldn't engage in. But yeah. other than that, there's no, like I'm, I'm bored by the project mm-hmm. of trying to do it correctly. Trying to yeah. do it right. Yeah. And what you said about like the belly of the beast, like, well, okay, we're already located inside of a violent society, like a, you know, a police state. And, and we already, yeah. we already are inside of it. Like that's how we operate. Um, and I think like that, <laughs> I'm like a very suspicious person. So like having a level, I think like we should be suspicious of ourselves and our motives and um, how we frame everything. And so um, I think that that's something I really love about your book. I mean, from its epigraph forward is that you call into question just a lot, a lot of things that it's very easy to just kind of like scoop up in your everyday life and be like, well, I'm just working with this particular, like this concept. I know it's not great, but it's in my life. And so I need to get about my daily business and, um, and the way you use metaphor in the way you kind of um, like, you've got this very unsettling poetics, which I love. And I'm just going to read a line that you've already read. Um like even when you're talking about beauty, say, um, and I believe this is in War Machine, which um, we were so beautiful that day. This is on page 76. All consumer metaphysics and pink meat ribboned with phosphorescent fat. I took 37 pictures of myself in the back seat to make sure I still existed. Like to both be talking, to just, to have a line that's so beautiful, but also so disconcerting. And also, um, you know, it's doing something with um, just kind of this radical, um, I can't even think of the word. I think I've used it so much lately um, when you're like outside of your body because of Alterity. trauma. <laughs> um, more like. Dissociation. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> just been a constant state of dissociating lately. Um, and, you know, like, I think that that, you know, that's so present, like, it's both so embodied and it's disassociation is for me in those lines. Um, and, you know, the looking at the self and outside the self and you're in the self. So I think that that's um, that kind of complexity is just what your book is always open to whether it's working with longer lines whether it's working with sequences like you really and i i want to note this for the reader is that what it's um is it 15 long poems is it um oh yeah it's 15 long poems yeah which i didn't realize actually until someone like wrote a review and i was like 15 wow I was like, interesting. I, that's know. A, I was like, that's such a choice. Divisible by three, divisible it's by five. Three. Really, really interesting. And it's um and it's a different kind of movement. And I I found it like really um in some ways kind of like restful because um as a reader you can like enter a long poem and then stay with it. And it's not like I, I do find it kind of exhausting and 
I mean, I'm raising my hand here because I'm a short poet poem poet most of the time but like when every single page is a totally different thing and you're like now dive into this one now this mm-hmm. one and it's like boo like I can only read a few poems yeah. when it's set up that way and poetry is for slow reading and I'm an editor buried under books so it's just yeah. hilarious to yeah, kind of- <laughs> I'm, I'm a real I'm a real long poem gal um I just really I just really like the long poem form I find it really hard to I just can't write a one-off like honestly mm-hmm. it's not even it's beyond being a choice like it's just yeah. always been like, <laughs> like I sit I sit down to write a poem and I yeah. write a book and mm-hmm. unfortunately every book takes like a long time but mm-hmm. you know I uh, it's it's very hard for me to be in and out. Um, it's kind mm-hmm. of like once I go in, I just want to go deeper and deeper mm-hmm. and, and build on more worlds and go, you know, one world mm-hmm. leads to the next. And that's a very um, kind of like characteristic um, mode of writing for me. And I, you know, I think it comes from like this kind of, um, I, I really, I mean, I really love T.S. Eliot. I really love Charles mm-hmm. Wilson, like all the bad, you know, <laughs> all the, all the, you know, mm-hmm. all the bad stuff, but I really, that kind of writing is just like, it's yeah. so um, appealing to me. And mm-hmm. I, but I also think it goes back to this kind of like cinematic perception thing. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just always, I'm never not going to be besotted mm-hmm. by cinematic perception. And interestingly, I mean, one could say like poetry and cinema are very analogous or you could say like any two arts are very analogous, but um, I think that, you know, we can, we can move away from poetry being cinematic and that's an interesting and great break. Um, But I am always going to be interested in making poetry more and more cinematic Mm. Um, that's just a, it's just a personal preference, yeah. something that I just find just endlessly fascinating. I love that. And I love this for us, your readers, because um, I think the extended attention and, um, you know, the interplay of imagery and like all the things you're able to do when you kind of faithfully stay in the poem or like return to it or, um, and I think that's such a, an incredible thing. I, I remember being really like not being into lyric sequences when I was in my MFA program. And I think it's because they were trying to teach it like, this is a lyric sequence. And it, it just mm-hmm. felt too, it felt too much like a move. Like everyone was, yeah, like, it was yeah. just move. Um, yeah. But I think I've come, I'm come fully around and I'm like, please someone teach me. <laughs> um, yeah. All you got to do is just get a taste and then you won't stop. Actually, um, a lyric sequence that I think you'd really love if you haven't read it is, have you read Mina Loy's Mongrel in the Rose? No. Oh, it's a Should long, it's a long poem about her life. It is amazing. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a really big Mina Loy head. Um, she's one of my favorites, but Mongrel in the Rose is just such an okay. incredible long poem. And she, she wrote a lot of short stuff. So she mm-hmm. kind of alternated, but this is, it's also just interesting because she had such a fascinating life and it's about her life. Yeah. So. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Correct. I will, I'll include that in the show notes too. So people can look cool. it up if they like. 
Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I really, this is such a, an important labor that you do. And I really appreciate it. I know that everything, everything takes time. And so this is, it's just, I feel like this is a huge gift to me. Thank you so much for the attention to my book and for sitting with it and having such thoughtful, um, comments on it all it's it's just really valuable to me so thank you so much thank you it's really um i, I will always say it's a selfish pleasure to to sit with a poet i was like yes i'm sitting with laura today um would you like to close us with with a poem or would you, what would you uh, like to sure do? yeah do you wanna um would you be interested in hearing a new poem yes please oh okay. my goodness let me just, it might take me one moment to break oh, into my, my new poems. That would um, be wonderful. Okay. So this is, it's actually really funny that you keep saying lyric sequence because my new poem is called Burning Sequence. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is from Burning Sequence. In shadows of forgotten ancestors, the mole fart looks darkly over a snowy village the one who will separate lovers, the one who with visions will kill dreams. The protagonist aches to return to all he's ever known, and yet we know he will never return. With all the yokes between us broken, all the candles burned to tapers, all the oxen wandering or starved, the village black rubble, the shells once cast, already spoken, the old songs forgotten, as the fields go fallow, the supermarket shelves picked over, all the news deserting the papers, the units empty, gunmetal towers climbing into silver sky, ignorant of human life, as someone makes their bed on the street, as another looks into the revolving face, of the black orb that turns and turns as an eye turns in its socket, but not an eye, a cinematograph of the never ending stupid present. The emergency demands it. We are castaways on the idea of the emergency. Leaving the theater, I wouldn't know until later, you were my Molfar, wayward as Shelley, weaving my dreams to the grid of illusion. There's nothing more than this than to go down into the catacombs of the subway as they burn. A man can convince a woman she is dust 